0: We're continuing our series through the book of Acts, and we're dealing with the early church and changes they had to deal with. And uh, the passage for this morning is found in Acts chapter 6. I'll be reading the first seven verses of that chapter, Acts 6, 1 through 7. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing... and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. The early church was alive, and therefore they had to change when situations presented themselves that meant that there were problems. Now, I'm gonna look at three things here, uh, all about what a living church is. First, a living church is challenged to change. The second point is a living church focuses on its function. And finally, a living church empowers its people. First, let's look at the living church being challenged to change. I'm going to go to the great theologian Bill Gates for this first quote. (laughs) Bill Gates said, you have to be constantly receptive to bad news and then you have to act on it. Sometimes I think my most important job as CEO is to listen for bad news. If you don't act on it, your people will eventually stop bringing bad news to your attention and that's the beginning of the end. The willingness to hear hard truth is vital not only for heads of big corporations but also for anyone who loves the truth. Sometimes the truth sounds like bad news, but it is just what we need. The apostles who heard this news of the dissatisfaction of the Hellenistic Jews now the Hellenistic Jews were the Jews from outside of Jerusalem who spoke Greek, whereas the Hebraic Jews were those who had mostly stayed in Jerusalem and who spoke Aramaic. So there was a, a cultural difference between these two, and with the uniting power of the gospel, they both, both groups came together in this local church. But what they found was that there were some discrepancies in how various people were treated. And... The Hellenistic Jews came before the Hebraic Jews, came before the leadership and said, our people, our widows, are not getting the same service as the Hebraic Jews. Now, those apostles had a choice. They could listen, they could take in this criticism, or they could dismiss it. What they did was take it in, they took it seriously, they heard the complaint, and they addressed it. So often, though, it's our human nature, when we hear something against us, when we hear something against an organization we love and believe in, we tend to dismiss it. Well, they don't understand, we say. And I have to wonder, now I'm gonna step out here a bit, but I think it's very important. You could say that the Hebraic Jews were experiencing Hebraic privilege. They were the ones who had the leadership. They were the ones who had the benefits of that leadership. They were the ones who were at home. They were in Jerusalem. And the others, the Hellenistic Jews, were from outside, so to speak. They weren't part of the group, the power group. So it happened that those who were disempowered had less opportunity. And it is very important, it was very important for the apostles, and it's very important for us today to listen to those who say, you have a privilege that you don't even realize you have and to humble ourselves and be empathic to understand what it must feel like or what it might feel like to be in that position of being disempowered, to be in that position of not having the privilege that we take for for granted. And that's exactly what the apostles did because the apostles were following Jesus Christ who said, my gospel is for all people and you should value all people. And then, they did something radical. They changed. You know the seven last words of the church, right? We've never done it that way before. (laughs) Or, the six last words of the church, but we've always done it this way. Oh, that's seven too. Eric Shinesky, who was the uh, Secretary of Veterans Affairs, said, if you don't like change, you're going to like irrelevance even less. You know the sad fact about that statement when it applies to the church? Is that it's not true. For many within the church prefer irrelevance to change. We'd rather stay the same, not be challenged, and not be relevant to the world around us because you know why? That place of static, non changing life is what we're used to. It's what we like. And for some reason, somehow, the idea came into our minds that the church is about me or you. But the church is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church is about the kingdom of God. And the church is about our responsibility to take that kingdom into the world. And if our refusal to change is keeping us from being able to do that, we are worse than irrelevant. We are disobedient to our Lord and Savior. Lee Iacocca, I don't, you may remember way back, Lee Iacocca did his own commercials for Chrysler. And someone came up to him one day and said, Mr. Iacocca, I just love your commercials. And he said, I don't care. (laughs) What I care about is, what kind of car do you drive? Because he realized that the point of the commercials was to get people to drive Chrysler products. And if people weren't driving Chrysler products, the whole point of the commercial was lost. We can have people come to us and say, I love your music, I love your building, I love your traditions, whatever it might be. But we can't care about that nearly as much as we care about whether what we're doing is drawing them into receiving the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if what we're doing is keeping anyone from that, we must change. In Hebrews 5, the writer writes this, beginning at verse 11. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact... Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk is still a baby and is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. The word grows us up. No offense to the baby in the room. I mean, if you are a baby, it's okay to be a baby, but but those who have been around longer should not still act like babies. But the writer of Hebrews said, you shouldn't act like a baby if you're not a baby. And the way to grow according to that and according to all of Scripture is by the ministry of the Word and the ministry of prayer. So, these apostles were confronted with this question about people not being served the food that they want, but they also realized their very strong need to share the Word. So, they had to, like any living church, focus on their function. Jesus said to the church in Acts 1, to the apostles who were there, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and into the ends of the earth. And it's interesting to look at the book of Acts uh, through the lens of Acts 1, 8, that verse, and see that here the church is in Jerusalem. And then as we read on in Acts, it spreads out to Jerusalem, and from Jerusalem to Samaria and to the other parts of the earth. And it's also interesting that throughout the book of Acts, we read about the church growing. In verse 2, 3,000. By verse 4, it's already 5,000. And then throughout the rest of the book, we read that Luke says it grew rapidly, it increased daily. That's because they were faithful to the word of God, faithful to what God was calling them to do. They were faithful to the ministry of the word and prayer. And yet, as this complaint came to them, they could have said, our job is not to care for the widows. Our job is to do the ministry of prayer and the word, and that's why the church is growing. So sorry, deal with it. But no, they didn't. They said we acknowledge that our job as the church is to care for these widows, to reach out to them. In fact, James in um, James 1:27 says, "Religion that is pure and undefiled before God is this: to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world." In other words, our job is to care. But our job is also to be so much in the word that we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. So what do they do? They said, we have an idea. Just like we learned from Moses that uh, when his father-in-law Jethro said, "You you can't hear all these complaints of the people, you need to bring on some other people to help, let them hear. And in so doing, you're able to, to accomplish so much more. And that's what happened here. They had to allow others to take care of the widows. And it's interesting here that what happened was, if you know Greek, which I used to, um, but I read about this, um, that all of those names that are listed are Greek names. In other words, the apostles empowered the Greek Jews to care for these widows, and they not only empowered them, they laid their hands on them. They said, you are called by God to do this work, because the function of the church is both the proclamation of the word and prayer and caring for widows, Lloyd-John Ogilvie, the pastor of Hollywood Presbyterian Church for many years, said, we live under the tyranny of the either-or. We think we have to do this or this. And as individuals, that's true. Because you can't do everything. But as the body of Christ gathered together, we can do a whole lot more. And a person who thinks that they can do or should do everything by him or herself is a person who will burn out but also is a person who is robbing a bunch of other people from the privilege of using their gifts to serve the kingdom of God. Another thing that's very interesting in this passage, if you know Greek, which I used to, um, is that the very same word is used here, the very same word for waiting on tables, the word diacon diaconis, dio, sorry diaconia, which is the word from which we get deacon, and so in the Presbyterian Church, the deacons are the one who are the ones who do the service, the outreach to the church members, but that very same word is used diaconia for the service of the word, which shows us that All of us who are in Christ, all of us who are part of the church, are called to serve. And some are called to serve by teaching, others are called to serve by serving. And everyone has a different call. And when we all live out that call, we are able to be the church. Probably the clearest place that this is explained is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but all, in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, and to another distinguishing between Spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All of these are the work of the one and same Spirit, and He distributes to each one just as He determines and just as a body, though one, has many parts, all of its parts together form one body. For we were baptized by one spirit as so as to form one body, whether Jew or Greek, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. And then Paul goes on to speak of how silly it is for the eye to say, I am more important than the ear. For the ear to say, I don't matter. Or the foot to say, I Or for one part to say to the foot, we don't need you. Because all the parts are necessary, but all the parts are very different, and each part has a different function. And that is why God calls us the body of Christ, because we each have our different role to play, and we shouldn't say, I don't like my role as well as so-and-so's role, I wish I were more like them. But to say, thank you, God, for the role that you've given to me. And to serve. To serve by waiting tables, to serve by teaching the word, to serve by giving generously, whatever it might be. And don't think that these categorize you in such a way that you can't move beyond them. Stephen, who uh, was one of these deacons that was um, given this role in in Acts chapter six, went on, as well as waiting tables, he went on to to preach the word, in fact, uh, Shortly hereafter, we find that Stephen was, was killed for preaching the word. He didn't say, okay, my job is just to wait tables, that's all I'm going to do. He said, I have this job of waiting tables, but I understand the larger work of the kingdom as well. And that is how we need to respond as well, to find our place, but not to say, well, now I don't have to do anything else. The living church is challenged to change. The living church focuses on its function and finally the living church empowers its people. And I'm gonna to go to um, Rick Warren who uh, in the Purpose Driven Church and the Purpose Driven Life talks about the concept of shape. He says you were shaped for service and shape uh, is the, four, the letters of the word shape tell us five things that we are to measure, to discern discern what our role is. Our first thing is our spiritual gifts. Now, it's important to distinguish between spiritual gifts and natural abilities. Spiritual gifts are things that you're not necessarily good at, but God empowers you for. And you can't know what they are until you step out and see what God's empowering you to do. The second is your heart, your passion. What excites you? Devin has a a phrase for her uh, as she guides students in her role as uh, academic advisor. She asks them a question. She says, don't ask what you want to be when you grow up, but ask what problem you want to solve and then pursue something that will allow you to work on that problem. Because what happens so often is students think, well, I need to make so much money, or I need to impress so-and-so, so I'm going to choose a career that fits what I think other people want of me. But a career like that never brings the satisfaction that a career does that matches your heart's desires. So first, we look at our spiritual gifts. Next we look at our heart. What, what does our heart desire? Next we look at our abilities, our natural skills. Maybe things that have that training we've had or schooling we've had that, that give us a, a different perspective or a different ability than other people. Next we look at our personality. Do we like to work alone or in a group? Are we leaders or are we followers? And find our niche within the church that fits those, our personality. And finally, our experiences, spiritual gifts, S, heart, H, abilities, A, personality, P, and experiences, E, our shape, our experiences, like maybe you've been able to travel around the world and that has given you a different perspective that will help the, the rest of the church understand different cultures. Maybe you experienced a youth group in your, when you were younger that really changed your life and you want to, to share that experience with youth now that you're not youth. I, I feel fairly gratified that uh, a couple, a few of the kids that I worked with uh, in my youth groups are now in youth ministry. But then I think, well, you know, it's either a really good youth group that, that helps you know how to do it, or maybe a really bad youth group, so you want to do better than, than what you experience. So I'm not sure which it is, but either way, I'm glad they're, they're doing it. Maybe you've experienced loss and you can reach out with a level of compassion to someone else who's experiencing loss in a way that someone else cannot maybe you've had a season of struggle with depression or anxiety or something and you can therefore understand someone else who's going through a similar time second corinthians 1 paul writes we comfort others with the comfort with which God has comforted us. In other words, what you've gone through will help you to help someone else go through similar things. And as we allow ourselves to be challenged to change, as we focus on our function, and as we empower each other, empower the people we will grow and as we grow the gospel flourishes that is the call that God placed on his church back then and is the call the call that God places on his church now let us be faithful to God's call and let us pray together gracious God thank you for your word to us may it Achieve the purpose for which you have sent it to our hearts and our minds. Build in us faithfulness to you as individuals and as a church gathered together. Lord, I pray particularly this morning for Rhoda Hartsaw, who... Recently suffered a fall and is not recovering. Well, we pray for strength for her and wisdom for her family Pray for Helen Trader who is receiving chemotherapy for cancer We lift up to you all those names on this prayer page and pray that you would bring strength and help and healing and hope We pray for Barb Voschel who's recovering from eye surgery and we lift up to you Uh, the Harshaw family, upon the death of Bob's father, John, on Monday. And we pray that you would um, be with them tomorrow through the service, uh, his funeral, and uh, as they remember him, but also as we entrust him to your care. We thank you for your presence with us. We thank you for your faithfulness to us. And we ask that you would help us to be faithful to you. We pray all of this in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen.